Hi, everybody. Today, we're going to be speaking with John Ellis. John was the first salesperson or even the first employee of Luma Health and has raised it to be a large company with lots of salespeople. And he talks about a lot of different techniques to be a good leader and how to manage a sales team and how to operate a sales team for an early stage startup. It's going to be a terrific episode. And while we're here, if you're an early stage startup and you're needing help to build out your sales process or to implement new new processes within the sales uh, team and needing help to even hire a team, you can feel free to reach out to me and us at uh, startupsales.io. This is what we do. We help companies building and scaling their sales operations for early stage B2B companies. So feel free to reach out there, startupsales.io. Let's get into today's episode with John Ellis. Startup Sales is a podcast about what it's really like to get a business off the ground. We talk with founders, CEOs, and sales VPs from the high-tech market. You'll learn how to build and scale a sales team. You'll also hear about the growth challenges and tough decisions from others who have had both successes and failures. And now, your host of the Startup Sales Podcast, Adam Springer. Hey, John, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, of course, Adam. Happy to be here, man. Thanks for having me. Great. Why don't you just start by telling us where you're working today and and what kind of product you're selling? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm the Senior Director of Sales with Luma Health. Started back in 2015. And what we're looking to do is work with medical clinics to really streamline and automate the entire patient life cycle. Ah, great. And how does your sales process look today? Today, it looks predominantly outbound. So we're doing a lot of outbound momentum, really reaching out to these clinics to identify decision makers, uh, build value and get demos with them. So right now, the engine is predominantly outbound, really focusing on what we call the mid-market and some enterprise. But we really started an SMB and transitioned up to mid-market about 18 to 24 months ago. Oh, okay. And so what does your team look like, like uh, your ratio from SDRs to account executives and so on? Yeah, right now we have about a two to one ratio from BDR to senior account executives. And the way that we break up the team right now is we have what we call our commercial side, which is what you'd call the SMB side. And that side is really supported by AEs only. So they're 100% self-sourced. So they have to generate all of their own opportunities through outbound cold calling. That team today consists of five AEs. And then we have a BDR team, which predominantly focuses on our mid-market and some enterprise levels. That today is a team of 10. And then there is three senior account executives, which are doing the demos and doing the closing contract negotiation with the mid-market and a little bit of enterprise as well. Okay, that's interesting. So you've got like on that side, uh, a 3.3 to one ratio. Yeah, we really focus on that as it's really hard to cold call into the healthcare space. And so mm-hmm. it takes a lot of time. You're not getting a lot of high volume out of each individual BDR, uh, but the deal sizes make it worth it. Right. And so the, the, the ARR is typically much higher where we can support that. And so it gives the senior account executives enough really demos per week to be able to maintain their quota. Yeah. All right. What kind of tools are you using to help the team 
operate. Yeah, you might want to call me a little bit old school on the, some of the stuff that we use, but that's really the way that I like it as well. So really just some of your basic stuff is we use Salesforce, obviously, as our CRM. Um, we use Ring Central as our VoIP system. And then one of the biggest tools that we added on a little while ago is Chorus, which is in the same space as Gong. And that's been a really huge help, just being able to break down tape, coach, and more mentor reps as well. And then we use Yesware for our email tracking. And so those are really the biggest things. We also use um, LinkedIn Sales Navigator. And then specific to healthcare, there's a database system called Definitive Health, which is really good for getting personas and identifying personas within uh, the hospital health clinic systems. Um, so those are the really the main tools that we're using today. Interesting. Interesting that you're using uh, Yesware because it doesn't allow you to automate as much as some of the other tools. Yeah. And Again, you call me old school on that, but I, I really think, especially when you're earlier on in your career, I think you can over automate things where it doesn't conceptually teach you the value of how to operate your own cadence, right? And yeah. I, I really think I want these guys and really the, the team that I build around. And one of the things I talk to them a lot is I don't want to teach them how to do better Luma Health demos. I really want to just teach them broad sales acumen that can translate to whatever they want to do next. And so I think a big component of that is to know how to reach out to people and when to reach out to them. And I think just plugging in automated tools, although it does have its benefit, don't get me wrong, it takes a little bit away from it, right? I think it's like those things we start to see in San Francisco now where they have those robotic baristas making your coffee. It's like, yeah. yeah, sure, it's great, but you kind of want that human interaction where maybe they put a little bit too much cream in there, but it just makes it their own unique flavor. And so, yeah, I, I like to automate, but really like to get these guys to understand the fundamentals of sales and how to outreach and do things like that. I, I think uh, I think that makes you a really good manager. You, you really <laughs> care about your team and their future growth. Or it just makes me mean because I had to use Rolodex and business <laughs> cards back when I started. So I don't want to make it too easy for them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So what's the biggest challenge uh, that your team is facing now? I think one of the biggest things, I think, not to get too micro on this topic, but just, just selling into healthcare is challenging. Like it's, it's slow to move. It's a big behemoth. And so that just in and of itself creates its own inherent baked in challenges. I think broadly in sales, especially when you look at mid-market enterprise, but even at the commercial side, is entering opportunities at the right level. Like that becomes the biggest challenge because a lot of times you can actually enter an opportunity, but it's too low. And that person doesn't have enough influence to create internal inertia and momentum to actually get that deal across the line and loop in other department heads. But also inversely, you can go at the opportunity too high and you can call mm -hmm. the CEO and sure, it's important, but it's not important to them. And yeah. the thing you got to realize is just because it's not important to one person and it's not really their realm, doesn't mean that the deal is dead. It could be very important to another person that this is the only thing that they're doing. And so really what we work on, especially in the healthcare space, is they have a lot of different personas, many different titles, and it's really cross-functional. So it's like you could enter that opportunity. It could be, uh, let's say they have a task list that they're trying to work down or priorities that they're working on for 2019. You reach out to one person, it might be ninth on their list. But if you reach yeah. out to another department, it could be two or one or the only project that they're working on for this year. And so it's just important to really be able to identify like who can pick up this conversation to get us the initial conversation, but also do they have enough power to get other department heads looped in and really start to work through it. It's a, 
you said that this is for you in healthcare, but I have to say for, for all the early founders that are listening that this is true for pretty much every mid to large market uh, companies out there. Yeah, it, it, it's finding um, a lot of people think, let's go C-suite. Let's call the CEO. Let's get them on there. But the CEO may be negotiating a seven-figure partnership with someone overseas, right? And that's taking up their bandwidth. And someone else that reports directly to that person, this can be their major project that they're working on, and they just don't even know you exist yet. Especially yeah. where you're an early-stage company, you don't have that logoed brand name, right, that you can reach out to and say, hey, it's you know Adam from Oracle, and they'll, they'll pick up your call. <laughs> right? Yeah. They're going to say, okay, who are you? What do you do? And so a lot of it's educating them on the front end. So yeah, it's really just finding out internally who can be your champion and making sure you get in contact with them and don't take your first no as a non-starter. Yeah. All right. So as a manager, what has been your biggest challenge to manage the team? One, and I mean, I, I don't honestly I don't like the word manager all that much. I feel like, you know, I, I want to lead people. And I think you want to have someone that has a vision or a coach or a mentor. And someone told me a long time ago, you, you coach players and you manage personalities. And so a lot of times the people management side of it, it is hard. Like it, it can be really hard. If you have 20 people on your team, you have 20 different personalities. And yeah. the way that you can speak to one individual rep to get the most out of them is one way. But the other rep, even if they're in the same position, you can speak to them that same way and you're not going to get the same outcomes. And so I think the challenging part is trying to connect with people on an individual basis while giving everyone equitability and making them equitable within the business unit and say, everyone's going to be treated the same way. Everyone's going to be held to the same standard. You know, uh, I heard one time, you know, Michael Jordan's got to feel like the bus will leave without him. You know, yeah. so you, you can't have that top rep that, you know, can come in late, do whatever they want, and they never, you know, see them having one-on-ones, et cetera. So you've got to have that balance of everyone is net equal as far as equity stake with you, but you've got to dynamically be able to talk to different people um, and try to understand everyone has different whys. Everyone has different things that motivates them and what mo might motivate you may not motivate me. So trying to understand where there's times where you're speaking as a broad brush to the audience of this is the narrative for the sales team. But then when you're an individual, you've got to be dynamic. And, you know, that, that's, that's challenging. And I don't mean this in a bad sense. It's like having, you know, 20 kids. <laughs> you know, in that sense. And, and, not, yeah. and I don't mean that in a derogatory sense in any way. It's like you want to treat them differently, but you also want them to know that you're all the same. Like you're, you, you all have the same value to, to the business and to yourself. Yeah. That's, uh, it's really tough to, to accomplish and uh, especially to hold everyone to the same standard because if you have a top performer and he wants certain leeway, but you can't give it to him. Yeah, I remember this one time I had this young young rep. Uh, he was working with me, and we were trying to get our call volumes up and our, our inputs up. And so we instituted these what we called mandatory power hours. And we said, okay, between 8 and 10 Pacific time, you're doing nothing but cold calling, sitting in your seat, making as many calls as you can. And, you know, so we're sitting there. Everyone's in, a, you know, the, the cubicle type of setting, if you will, right? So we're all sitting by each other. We're all pounding the phone, myself included. I was like, I'm going to make the cold calls with you guys. And he got up and went and grabbed like a snack. And I went to him and I'm yeah. like, what are you doing? What are you doing, man? You can't do that. We said everyone is going to sit down between 8 and 10. And he was my top rep. 
Yeah. And he was like, man, come on, you, you've got to cut me some slack here. But in front of the group, I had to let it be known that like, I was going to hold him to the same standards as everyone else. Privately, I pulled him inside and said, hey, you know, I had to do that, right? Like, you know, I, I obviously don't care if you have a snack, but it's like, if you want to be a leader, you've got to lead by example. And so you don't need the mandatory power hours to be successful, but the other reps do. And they're going to try to lead by your example. They're going to try to come after you and, and do exactly what you're doing. So if they see you taking breaks and doing snacks, they're going to do the same thing. Yeah. And so, yeah, you've got to sometimes point them out, but then also you could pull them aside privately and say, hey, come on, man. You, you know, Mike, I wouldn't really leave without you, bud. Like, <laughs> <laughs> we're not, we're going to hold the bus. Yeah, for you. Come on. You know, we're going to hold the bus, but just don't act like we're going to. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What have you found to be the biggest challenge for new sales reps? The biggest challenge, especially when you're working with reps that they're new into their sales career, if not just new into the career setting. Right. A lot of the people that I tend to work with over my career were if they were young and starting out, they were in their early 20s. Right. So a lot of them were under 25. And so I think a lot of them are learning that if you want to be a professional in anything, it's going to take a lot of work. And so I think the biggest challenge very early on is that people, young reps, don't front load the effort to master their discipline. And, you know, I look at it as like, if you want to play sports, you want to be a football player, you want to be a basketball player, there's no off season. Like you're, you're, you're a professional 24 hours a day, but a lot of young reps think, well, I show up at seven, I leave at four. That, that's when I'm, I'm working and that's when I'm going to try to get better. And it just doesn't work like that. Like the game isn't won on the same field in which it's played. Like by the time you show up to play the sport, you're, the game's already decided because it's all about your preparation. So one of the things I try to get to these reps very early on is that no one ever rises to the occasion. They fall to their highest level of preparation. And so you've got to just prepare and prepare for every scenario that could possibly come up. So a lot of young reps that I feel like they just don't merely do enough reps in the beginning to where they can actually become masters at their craft. And so if you're a person that has a job that happens to be in sales, you'll likely never tap into your full potential. Yeah. But if you're a sales professional and every opportunity is an opportunity to get better and you're not quote unquote working, you're developing your craft, that's when you'll truly unlock everything and you can really be your best. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think one of the things that I feel a lot of the time is to treat every deal the same. Yeah. And it's for that reason, because you don't, it's more about preparation. It's more about practice. It's about once you also have those systems in place and you treat everything the same, that million dollar deal is not going to just fall into your lap. It's going to be yeah. worked, but you have to work every deal the same to find that million dollar deal. Yeah, you won't be ready for it. You can't sit there working you know, $10,000 deals and suddenly think you could now negotiate a million dollar deal, right? You've got to prepare yeah. for it and you don't want that million dollar to come in and that be a practice rep. And yeah. so I think, I think that's the, the thing. And I think a lot of times is if you're familiar with the book uh, outliers, which is one of my favorite books, you know, desirable disadvantages is it's almost a disadvantage to close your first couple of deals right away. Cause anything, Oh, I've got this, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. And, and they stop developing their craft and they run that demo every time and it becomes stale and, and, and it's not dynamic. And so I think it helps reps long-term to where they, don't start closing deals right away, you know, and just like hit the ground running. Like it's okay to get a couple of failures in there because I think failure is a much better teacher than success can ever be. Yeah. 
but it's a it's a fine line. I know even myself if I go through a dry spell, you know, it's just like, oh my god, what's happening? I I know my stuff, and why, why can't I close anything? <laughs> yeah, I, I remember uh, at Luma when we started our BDR program, which was about six months in after after starting it, and up until then, I was you know, I I'd, I'd recruited two AEs over with me, and and we were doing everything full cycle cold calling, and finally we had enough data points where I felt comfortable where we can go get some junior uh, BDRs that weren't from my natural network and i remember i still remember to this day they started i was like great i had two bdrs that were starting and we were in this tall tiny tiny office we actually called the closet because it was about the size of a closet and so the bdr was right next to me and i still remember i was in my worst slump ever of setting demos i went 11 days without setting a demo and i was about to lose my mind and i'm sitting here thinking like i've got this new bdr i'm trying to show them how to do it and i was just like man I, uh, i'm getting super frustrated and that was like his first like five or six days. And he was like, what's going on? And then finally they came in like one day I sent three demos and I'm like, yeah, all right, I'm back. And so it's just, you know, you, you go through those dry spells, but you got it. You got to just fight through it. Right. Just keep going. Yeah. All right. In the hiring process, what's the most important thing that you're looking for in a new sales rep? Yeah, I think one, even if you're the greatest, you know, talent person ever, you're at best a 50, 50 player, like you're only going to be right about half the time if you're great at it, right? I think recruiting and hiring is just one of the most challenging things for especially a new company because you just don't have the resources around you. You know, you've got to really make sure that especially uh, my biggest advice for every early stage founder is those first like five hires you have to nail. Like if you miss on any of those first couple, like it's really going to set you back because it takes a lot of resources. But really, especially for sales, what I look for, uh, there's really three main things that I look for when I'm recruiting people like this. So the first thing is I want to assess, do they have a little bit of street smarts about them? Like, are they just sharp, right? I think there's book smart, right? Like you can recite chapters from books or you can remember things, but you know, do you, can you find your way out of a paper bag, right? Are you just sharp? Does it just click, you know? And, and that's really hard to do, obviously, uh, but a couple of things that I've picked up along the way that I've found to be helpful is they seem minor, but it does tell you about someone and how they can cognitively problem solve. So the first thing I do when I set up a phone screen uh, for a new hire doing my first initial phone screen with them is I very explicitly say in the email that they're to call me and I provide them my number. And then I send them the invite and I say, Adam is calling John, here's the number. And I want to see, like, do they read emails? And can they follow instructions? And it might blow you away to find out that about 25% of the people never call in for their interview because they're expecting you to call them. They didn't read the email. And so yeah. that right there tells you like, okay, <laughs> like, man, you should probably read the email. And I put it in bold font and everything. So it's not trying to trick them. It's trying to say like, okay, do they read it? And the other thing that I do is when I give them the address for the onsite is I don't give them what floor we're on because there's a directory in the lobby and there's a person in the lobby that works there full time. So you want to see like, what's that person going to do? Can they come out of their comfort zone to ask the person, Hey, excuse me, I'm here to meet with Luma health. What floor are they? Yeah. Or are they going to, you know, freak out and be late and email <laughs> five minutes after the, I didn't know what floor you're on. And it's like, that just shows you like how can they solve basic problems? Right? So I try to understand like, do they got some sharps about them? Do people actually not ask the receptionist or, yep. or look to what floor? Yep. That's shocking. Shocking, right? But that tells you, like, can they come out of their comfort zone, right? Yeah. Do they inherently know how to solve a problem? I had, I remember I had an interview one time and the guy showed up 45 minutes late and, and never brought it up. 
And I was like, hey, so I'm going to bring this up. Like, any reason why you want to give it? Like, oh, no, I thought it was scheduled at another time. And I was like, so, okay. And so, yeah, that, that, and I had another guy who showed up about five minutes late to the interview. And I was like, hey, Adam, any, any trouble finding the place, man? Was everything okay? He's like, no, I was just enjoying the day. It's a great day outside. I was like, okay, so that's all I need to know. <laughs> you know, yeah. if you show up late for an interview, that's not a great start. So yeah. uh, really just small things like that to understand, like, just are you dealing with someone that has a little bit of uh, maturity to them? You know, is it just a professional maturity that they would have to solve the problem and not look for other people to solve it? Uh, the second thing is, like I mentioned from the book Outliers, you're familiar with, is desirable disadvantages. So most people talking about, tell me every time you hit quota, how many deals did you get? I want to find out, have they gotten off the mat? You know, have they been beat up before? Have they been gotten off the mat? Have they been behind on their quota before, but still was able to hit? Like, yeah. did they identify that? Were they able to hit? Now, if it's, a, especially for early founders and, you're, and if you're hiring a BDR person, in all likelihood, a lot of those personas I go with, they've never done sales before, right? So this is their first sales job. So I just talking about like, you know, Adam, tell me one of the biggest obstacles you've overcome in your life. You, know, you don't have to get too personal right here, but tell me, was it, did you flunk a class in school and, you know, it was going to keep you from graduating, so you had to do extra credit? Was it something? Tell me something that happened that you've overcome because, you know, the old saying, a knight in shining armor is only a knight that's never had his medal tested. And so you want to know that this person has faced some type of adversity before because everyone loves sales until you don't hit your number. Yeah. Like, you know, it's very great until you stop hitting the number. And are you just going to quit? You know, I want to know, like, if it gets harder, they're just going to quit, especially at an early stage company. You're going to have to figure a lot of things out. You're going to have to pivot a lot of things. You know, can they do it? And yeah, no support. Yeah. You have no resources, right? You have no things. And then the third thing that I look for is just I'm a big believer that you never have to teach a shark to smell blood. Like someone just inherently needs to have a small bit of instinct of when it's time to close a deal. Yeah. You know, I've, I've, yeah, and I'm sure you've heard this too. You know, I've heard reps on the phone with people where they're like, the prospect is like, okay, this is great. Uh, what are the next steps and how long does it take to get started? And then they don't ask for the business. <laughs> so you, just, you know, you need to have that inherent, like, Okay, you know, they also, you know, it's like you never have to teach a shark to smell blood. They just come out of the womb. It's instinctual to them. So you need someone that is an instinctual type of closer because if you have to invest six months in a person just to know when to ask for a demo or when to ask for a deal, you're never going to get them there. It's going to take too long. One of my pet peeves is when I see an email come in and the person's like, hey, we're ready to go. Can we, can we set up a call or something? And the person's like, well, it's Friday afternoon. I'll, I'll email uh, them on Monday. <laughs> what? Excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> you're like, oh, God. Yeah. You're like, what should I say to this? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or, or I've, I've heard people on the call, what's the next step? And they map out, you know, 10 steps. And the 11th one is register the account with your billing information. I was yeah. like, yeah, if that's the first, like, make that your first step. Like, you've got to get them in there. So, those are the biggest things. But, like I said, even with that, I mean, it's a 50 50 crapshoot on people. It's really hard to assess people, especially through an interview, et cetera. Uh, but, yeah, especially at early stage. At Luma, we got very fortunate where our first, you know, half a dozen hires, we nailed it. Like, you know, and, and that was just, it, it really helps the company. So, what I'd recommend for, any early stage person looking to build out their first team is do it slowly. Like make sure you really assess this person, like see how they are. Don't just quickly knee jerk, make someone an offer. 
Yeah, just because uh, they've got a pulse doesn't mean that you have to hire them right yeah. now. Yeah, <laughs> and what have they fall into, right? I think Justin, you interviewed, I think a couple of weeks ago with a couple of podcasts, he had mentioned it too, is what resources do they need? You know, yeah. if, I, if I've worked for a Series C company that, you know, has a hundred sales reps and I had everything available to me, it's going to be very different going to a seed company where you don't have any resources and you've got to really, you know, start a fire. It's like, okay, this person has been camping before, but they always bring a thing of matches with them and lighter fluid. So that doesn't necessarily mean that they know how to start a fire with two sticks. And so you've got to assess like what resources have they had available and really pressure test them. If you're going after hyper transaction SMB, you need to make sure that that person has done it before. If they're doing long enterprise contract negotiation, you've got to make sure that they've done that before because they're different skill sets. Absolutely. And this is something that's way overlooked by uh, founders when hiring. Yep. And same goes for sales leaders. You you know, you don't want to hire a sales leader that's only been good from 50 million to 200 million plus. You, yep. you want that person that's been there from zero to a million. The first million is the hardest. Million. I can tell you that. The first million is yeah. the hardest. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. The old saying is true. All right. So what are you doing as a leader that allows you to, to excel? Oh, man. That's a good question. You know, I don't know. That's a hard one for me to answer. I feel like what I look to do is, and I've had people ask this in interviews, right? As I've interviewed with companies, you know, what do you do to motivate your team? And really my answer to that is it's not my job to motivate professionals. You know, it's like if, yeah. if it's a team like, you know, Bill Belichick doesn't show up and be like, how can I get my team really excited today? You're a professional. You're getting paid to do this. I would hope you would come. Really, my job is like, how can I help you get a tenth of a percent better today? How can I help you identify things? So I feel the thing that I try to do the most is, again, stay connected, regardless of how big the team gets, stay connected with everyone, know their name, how you doing, engage with them, stay on the front lines with them no matter what. But what I really try to do is find the narrative for them. If you're a sales rep, you're just you know smiling the dial on, right? You're going after it, you're making calls. That coach is the one that can come in here and show you different conversion metrics to say, okay, your show rate is where we need to focus on. So let's do some development around how do we get buy-in and commitment at the demo set to make sure we can increase your show rate because everything else lines up. And so what I really try to do is I'm more of a binary person where I feel like numbers can really tell a story to me. But for a lot of people, numbers aren't telling them anything. Right. You can't yeah. just go to the ref and be like, Adam, you only made 50 calls this week uh, every day. You need to make 65. So make 15 more calls. Yeah. Like that's not inherently going to make you want to go run through the wall and do that. And so really what I try to do is really know all the numbers, analyze it when we won, analyze it when we lost and really come up with a narrative for the team as a whole, but then on the individual rep as well. So one of the things that I do at the end of every quarter is I actually do an analysis for every rep on their entire funnel. So contact rate, DM contact rate, set rate, show rate, close rate, average deal size, really everything top to bottom. And what I do is it sounds kind of corny, but I, f- I think they like it. Hopefully they're not lying to me is, uh, <laughs> is I make them what I, what I call baseball cards. So if you remember baseball cards from when you were a kid, you've got the stats, you know, they've got all their stats on the back. So I take their stats for that quarter. I take their LinkedIn headshot. I'll make a baseball card for them. I'll laminate it, which a lot of times actually I just tape over it, but I'll laminate it and then I'll give it to them and then I'll do my one-on-one with them and then I'll break them down. And I'll say, okay, this conversion number looks great. So 
status quo on here. This is where we need to tweak it. And I've literally seen these guys compare baseball cards with their teammates, who's doing what, who's doing better, but then also they tend to collect them. And so quarter over quarter, you can see, okay, well, your show rate, and I'm, and I'm just, I'm thinking of one BDR specifically, his everything in his funnel was great, except his show rate. Like his show rate was the bottom of the team, but every yeah. other number was top of the team. He was leading the class. And I showed him like, man, if you're leading the team in all of your outputs, if you just tweak this one thing, you'll set every record this company has. You'll own the record book here. And that next quarter, he improved his show rate by 23%. And so it's just having them like, oh, okay, yeah, I hit quota, but how can I hit quota in a different way? And how can I double up on my quota so I make more money? And so just really getting them to say, okay, here's your opportunities to improve upon. So I feel like the thing that helps me the most is being able to look at numbers, find a narrative in there, and then create that narrative for the reps that helps them buy into why they should focus on that effort. Well, I think that's uh, such an amazing tool that you're giving them because even for their career later on, they could walk into another interview and say, you know, here's my results, here's my stats, yep. and here's how much I've improved over the last two years or however long I've been with the company. Yeah, I want them to take ownership early on. I want them to be a leader. So first hour of their employment with the company where it's really me monologuing, if you will, but going off with them and talking to them about like, hey, we believe there's only two forms of leadership. There's either positive leadership or negative leadership. You can't be neutral. Like you can't come in and not affect someone around you one way or the other. And so yeah. we nurture positive leadership and we don't allow negative leadership. Like if you're negative Nancy and everything sucks and this isn't good, you're just not going to work out very well. Like at least with us, like this is not going to happen. And then I want to empower them to think like an entrepreneur, think like a business owner. And you know this, if you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. And yeah. so I want them to know all these numbers, but you're exactly right. Like I'm more than comfortable coaching them up. That increases their probability to land another job. Yeah. <laughs> and you just, you know, yeah. hopefully you, if you keep nurturing them, keep growing them, they want to keep working with you. But if they decide to move on, it's like, great. You know, here's all these things that we've provided you. Yeah. If, if you're treating them the way that you're treating them, people aren't going to want to leave because they're going to keep progressing. Yeah. And uh, that's more important than money a lot of times. Yeah, absolutely. So, What's your favorite sales or leadership book? I've got a couple. I think uh, the one that speaks to me the most, I, I really love The 48 Laws of Power from Robert Greene. Really like that one. It's a long book. It cites examples. Some of the laws of power get a little bit out there, so I don't follow every single law, but it just has some really great stuff. Like you need to act royal before you're ever treated royally. Um, you know, use, you know, use your words as power, try to say more with less. And so I think it just has a lot of things in there that really builds people up and talks about character and making it uh, unassassinable. And so I really like that book. It's a good one. Another one I like is called It's Your Ship uh, by Captain Michael Abershoff. Uh, he was in the Navy. So really great book about just being a leader. Talks about leaders eat last. You know, so especially, you know, a lot of these uh, companies like to do catered lunches and things like that. So it's like, that's for everyone else. <laughs> I'll take yeah. the scraps, whatever's left over. If there's anything left over, I'll have some of that. And then a really obscure one that I, I honestly can't even remember how I came across, but it's called Hannibal and Me uh, by Andres Kluth. And I think it's actually the only book he's ever written. And it's just really, I, I really enjoyed it because it just talked about defining success. And everyone has a different version of success, right? Yours is different from mine. Mine is different from other people. And so it really finds about 
don't try to fight for other people's definition of success. Define what success is to you, whether that's if you're starting a company, right? If you're going in as a new employee, like what does success look like? Have a clear definition of that and then fight for it. And so it uses Hannibal, who's looked at as, you know, one of the greatest generals in, in history. But his definition of success was beating the Romans. And that's something he never did. Mm-hmm. And so it's a cool book that I found. But I have a lot of different other ones, but those are the three that I tend to cycle back through on a fairly regular basis. Interesting. The the definition of success, uh, Zig Ziglar has a good uh, story on that. So if if, if yeah, you're Zig interested, go- yep. Google that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Zig Ziglar, he's a legend. Yeah, absolutely. All right. What one piece of advice do you have for all the new managers and new leaders out there? If you're getting in it for the money, don't do it. <laughs> so I think if you want to be a people leader, I think you just really have to have a passion for coaching. Yeah. You have to have a passion for coaching because if you don't, it's really exhausting. Like it is. It's really exhausting. And if you don't have moments where you're like, what the hell am I doing? I'm just going to walk away and go on a long vacation to hide away from this. And I call them the what the F moments of what am I doing here? You're not pushing yourself hard enough. And yeah. so like those feelings are okay to have as a leader. Like those are okay to say, hey, I'm really exhausted. I'm willing to do this. But you've got to put your people first. You have, I think of a, an org chart as like you're on the bottom, right? And everyone's lined up above you. And it, the thing that you got to realize as a people leader is like the people that you're working with, they write your paycheck, not the other way around. Absolutely. And so you've got to put them first and you've got to just have a real pure mindset of why you want to do it because... Otherwise, it's just really hard because I've I've worked with some leaders where, you know, they try to make everyone happy. And so they do, you know, closed door decisions like, okay, hey, I don't want to do this for you, but not for anyone else. Well, everyone's going to find out about it. And so you've got to really have that of you're not going to make everyone happy. You're not like it's an impossibility to make everyone happy. But I think people will respect when you're working with them the same level of equity. And so I tell them, don't worry about being fair worry about being equitable. And so a banned word in our organization is fair. Don't use the word fair. Fair isn't fair, right? So let's not talk about that, but let's talk about an equity stake and everyone should have an equitable opportunity to be successful. And so, yeah, I would say just get in it for the right reasons. Titles aren't everything in this world, you know, and people won't respect you just because your business card says they should. And so you've got you've got to just really do it for the right reasons and really put them first. And I think you're going to build a lot of loyalty from people that way. And then yeah. that's the rewarding part. And I, I take no more sense of pride right now than watching people grow and become promoted beyond the role that I hired them to do. Like that's Absolutely. just so fun to see at this point. Yeah. And throw away the ego because that will, that will make you better <laughs> by letting somebody else grow. Yeah. Let them grow. Do not be afraid to coach your replacement. Yeah. Absolutely. John, you, you've given us a lot of great advice here today, so I appreciate you coming. How could people reach out to you and, and do you have any uh, projects that you're working on or anything like that? Uh, no real special projects that I'm working on, just really continuing to build the company. They could reach out to me via LinkedIn. They can find me on there, John Ellis with Luma Health. So obviously feel free to reach out to me through there as well. If I could be any resource for anyone just on advice or bounce questions off of, I'm more than willing to do that as well. But yeah, I mean, this has been really helpful. I'm really glad you invited me on and I appreciate the opportunity to do it. So thanks again, Adam. My pleasure. Thank you. Absolutely, man. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Startup Sales with Adam Springer. 
Subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Contact Adam about speaking engagements or consulting services at adam at startupsales.io. 